Now, losing an assistant coach is never fun, especially when said assistant coach goes to the Elite Eight and your defense is almost 100th in America. This is Locked On Baylor. You are Locked On Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to Locked On Baylor. I am alive from Sports Illustrated's Inside the Bears, and thank you for making Locked On Baylor your first listen every single day. We are joined by the basketball savant, who is Kendall Cout from Sikkim 365. Kendall, Baylor lost Jerome Tang to Kansas State. The defense was subsequently almost 100th in Ken Palm. Let's, let's, let's cut it in right here. Is that because of personnel, intensity, Jerome Tang? Give me where you think the loss of Tang has put this program, and if it, you'll, you'll still see the effect in coming seasons. I think, Drake, it's almost exclusively personnel. Uh, although year in and year out, you know, Scott Drew deserves the credit for building the rosters. I think by the time you get to about October, what the roster will be, what coaching does, is largely shaped by the development of that roster in the offseason and the players you have. Turns out Baylor did not have great length in the perimeter with yeah. Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, Keontae George. And those guys naturally, I think, all range from below average to average defenders. Love a lot of those guys. Uh, I have no problem with any of them even. Um, really good guys, great offensive players, but asking all three of them to be elite defenders. And then with the struggles Baylor had at the center position this season, not having an NBA wing in Jeremy Sohan, for some of the weaknesses maybe Kendall Brown had off the ball as a defender, was a very good on-ball defender. And our good friend Evan Maya, aka Evan Mia, I guess is how we pronounce the man's name. We were wrong for years, Drake. We never knew. At least I was wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm coupling you in with that on this, Drake. Uh, his stats showed Matt Meyer was actually one of the best defenders in the country. I tested to make you maybe believe that, but maybe there was something to Matt Meyer being a much better defender than we all thought all along. So I think it was almost exclusively personnel. I think where Jerome Tang was most missed for Baylor Drake is that I think he was a guy who would get after the players a little bit more than maybe it's the natural comfort zone for John Jacobs, Al Brooks, and Jared Nunes. All great guys, Tweety Carter, uh, you know, Ty Beer, Jason Smith, Bill Peterson. I hear great things about all of them. Know several of those guys quite well. But I don't think their natural disposition is to be the kind of bad cop. And I've been told before that Jerome Tang is bad cop really is not what bad cop is for a lot of other schools. Yeah. It would be more like, hey, what's a funny line I can use? Or what's something that might get under Ish Wright's skin? Uh, that kind of thing. So I think that's where he was missed. I think also just a good basketball mind was missed. But I think to look back and say K-State was really good. Well, they were good because Marquise Noel was awesome. Keontae Johnson was fantastic. And Tang's a good coach. And Baylor was really good but wasn't quite what we had hoped maybe they would achieve is not because of Tang, but that's the first two minutes of me talking nonstop, Drake. That's my take. Kendall, I, here's the deal. I want to get on top of this revisionist history that's going to come. If Baylor gets bounced in in the first weekend next season, then I think you'll hear the louder screams of, and Kansas State goes further, the louder screams of, oh, losing Jerome Tang, was was that the key cog? Was that the guy for Scott Drew that will be detrimental now if you pull up, uh, the rug out from underneath you? And I, I said we mentioned this before the show off the air. Duke loses their top assistant every you know five to ten years, and they've still been Duke, and Baylor loses a top assistant every three or four years, and they have still been Baylor. Uh, so I, I don't think that the loss of Jerome Tang is going to be overall detrimental. But do you think that, and this kind of maybe even, maybe it's like almost a repeat question, Kendall, but do you think we we did see as fans the loss of Jerome Tang in the way that Baylor played? Could you tell that Jerome Tang wasn't on the sidelines in the way Baylor played this season? I don't know that I really could. I think there is a fair thing to say. And I wrote this kind of long column after the season ended where I was just like, you know what, look, if I had written this column when I was, you know, 25, maybe be a little bit angrier, but they won a national championship. Yeah. You know, Eric, you and I cover that national championship team. 
Uh, I'm not in a place in my life either where I'm just going to get that upset about like Baylor basketball doesn't win the national championship every year. So maybe that's why I'm not as good to answer this question. But what I will say is what I thought maybe Baylor missed a little bit in this roundabout way is that this team for Baylor might have been a little too nice. Uh, Adam Flagler, Keontae George, LJ Cryer weren't going to get in a fist fight outside of the arena. They might, you know, have a nice word or two. They could talk trash to the best of them if you'd sit kind of in the media section at the arenas and still let you sit on the floor. They could they could talk trash to the best of them. But they weren't going to get in fights with guys. They weren't going to flagrant foul anybody. Yeah. I think it, it felt like Caleb Loner's late flagrant foul that was maybe unintentional against Iowa State was the only one they had this year. So I think that's maybe where Tang was missed a little bit, that he could give you that identity to be like, let's get a little nasty sometimes. They didn't maybe have that. But I think if you ask, would Baylor being a little nastier have won the national championship? Probably not. But if you simulate the season a thousand times other than Purdue failing early, I don't know what the consistency we have this season. You know, Kendall, um, that, that's the one thing that I've heard echoed from guys who were on the team before was that Jerome Tang was was the intensity, that that's what he brought to the locker room, that it was like the the lovable intensity. You already mentioned it. The the best bad cop that in the history of bad cops is what he brought to the sideline. Now, obviously, at Kansas State, it ha- has had a lot of success. Were you surprised? I mean, look, the answer's got to be yes, Kendall. Surprised to see him have as much success as he did, taking over what was really a dumpster fire at Kansas State. Yes, and I have it on pretty good authority that Jerome Tang did not expect to be that good. He mentioned in a press conference uh, when somebody asked him before the tournament, hey, did you expect to be this good? And he said no. And I can tell you that uh, before the season when Jerome Tang met with several members of the media, and I don't hope I'm revealing anything too much here if this gets back to Jerome Tang, he did not at all expect to be that good. Uh, I think he thought Marquise Noel was good. He didn't think he was going to be the best point guard in the Big 12 by far by the end of the season. And again, I love Adam Flagler, but how well Marquise Noel played in the tournament, you have to give him his flowers. And then they didn't know Keontae Johnson would get cleared until very late in the season. And there were some reasons for Keontae Johnson, both between the heart, being late in the campaign, case having open scholarships, maybe a couple other things that meant they were able to get Keontae Johnson. Whereas I don't know if he goes there otherwise, but you also have to give Jerome Tang a lot of credit that he was able to re-recruit Marquise Noel and he got Keontae Johnson back and he had no problem telling guys to hit the door, which might be a strength that Jerome Tang has that if somebody's not contributing, he walked into Manhattan and I think told those guys, listen, you can stay, but you're not going to play. And he got those guys to leave so he could rebuild the team with better players. Kendall, the, the next thing I want to jump into is the now consistent um, Scott Drew coaching tree. The the guys that are getting out and getting big jobs. Um, and what I want to do first is put into perspective what this means. Like Scott, everybody knows Scott takes over a program where a player murders another player. Nobody wants to go here. It is the worst job in America at that point in time and would be for the first five years of Scott Drew's tenure. Like still, there was nothing good about, about being at Baylor. When you couple that with now seeing the guys like Grant McCaslin or Paul Mills, Jerome Tang, the success they're having, like, I don't think those two things can be separate. How do you put into words what this coaching tree, based on where its roots started, truly is? I think it's a reflection of how much Scott Drew did. That to really turn around Baylor, you had to hit on like 19 different things. Whether it was getting eventually McDonald's All-American like Tweety Carter, whether it was hiring the right coaches where he, you know, we've heard the story about Jerome Tang a million times. I was at Big 12 Media Days. And I just, this year I decided, hey, I'm going to just hang around Scott the whole time because you know, not a lot of people can get to Kansas City for a weekend. I live in Kansas City for many weekends. So why don't I see what can happen here? And how many K-State or KU media folks that would come to Scott and ask him the same question about what's it mean for Jerome Tang to get the job? And I was like, Scott, why don't you just keep a recording? And so you don't have to say this over and over again. He's like, oh, you know, you know, I enjoy saying it. And I was like, man, I would get real. I'm getting tired of hearing it. So you got to yeah. get tired of saying it. Um, but I think it speaks to he had to hit on a million things. He had to hit on 
making sure he got the right guys that wouldn't torpedo the program early. Then he had to land a McDonald's All-American and Tweety Carter. He had to make sure Tweety Carter was the right guy as kind of your foundational McDonald's All-American. And he had to land those coaches that were the correct guys to really want to work and have to sell a vision when nothing was there. Uh, you kind of had to hire crazy people. That Grant McCaslin, Paul Mills, Jerome Tang, Mark Moorfield, all the guys they've had over the years would believe, you know what, this is the place we can do something. And they had to be a little crazy, too, in the sense that they would think, you know what, I'm going to jump at my earliest opportunity because I think if I get an opportunity, that's better than waiting. Scott Drew could have probably waited at Valpo four or five years, made the tournament, you know, two or three times, have one good run. And then he takes, whether it's the old Miss job, which, you know, today he wouldn't meet the qualifications to uh, have off the court issues, maybe to get the old Miss job. Um, and if you want to sue me, Chris Beard, I, I welcome us getting depositions together. Um, but what I will say, and I was, I was say Drake, Drake told us not endorse anything. I joke about Chris Beard or unendorse it. He is neutral on anything. Chris Beard, sue me if you got to sue me. Uh, but I endorse took, all of it. Sue us both. <laughs> that took guts. And it took guts from that staff to believe in it. And it took him hiring the right guys. So sometimes you think maybe you need to check one or two boxes for things to work out. You had to check about 50 boxes for Baylor to work out. And it really worked out for him, Paul Mills, Grant McCaslin, and everybody else. And we'll see if Grant McCaslin, who now appears from all the rumors off the court to be the next head coach at Texas Tech, will that work out for him? Good luck to Kirby Hocutt. I got to say, applaud that man. I don't know how that man keeps getting hires after how it's gone so wrong for him with everybody but Joey McGuire, but have somebody that believes in you like Texas Tech believes in Kirby Hocutt and you found the one. Absolutely. <laughs> Kendall, um, I want I want to keep going on this. The the Paul McCaslin conversation, uh, or the Grant McCaslin-Paul Mills conversation, I just mixed them. Why not? It made sense. Uh, it was good shorthand. And, and, and the tree and what it is, uh, but you hit on a great word there, and that is Chris Beard. Right now, you can go to FanDuel, FanDuel.com, and bet – over under one and a half years before Chris Beard makes a mistake that gets him fired from Ole Miss. I'm hammering the over. The leash is long in Oxford. Uh, you can't really do that. But you can bet on everything else at FanDuel. Right now, March Madness, the Final Four is this weekend. My best bet is UConn minus five because they're my national champion. They've mowed through everybody. They're going to make my bracket, win all the bracket pools that I'm in, and I'm going to have lots of money. They're America's number one sports book. FanDuel is giving new customers no sweat first bet, $1,000. Put $1,000. Tail me. Tail me. Put $1,000 on UConn, minus six. And if it does, minus five, whatever it is. If it doesn't hit, you get $1,000 back in bonus bets. That's right. FanDuel.com forward slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Locked on. Sign up today to claim your first sweat. First sweat? No sweat. First bet. It's it, It's an app, too. So you just go download the app. It's safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. No sweat. First bet. $1,000. When you join FanDuel today, go to FanDuel.com forward slash locked on to sign up. You make every moment more when you use FanDuel. Kendall, I'm going to break one of the uh, sacred rules of podcasting and radio and just like completely not ask you a question that goes along with with the conversation. Um, the one that was OK, we've talked about Jerome Tang, the Grant McCaslin's, the Paul Mills, these guys leaving the program and Baylor still being good. One one thing I do want to hit on. We've talked personnel and defense already, and I should have thrown this in now, but then but I am genuinely curious. Baylor, according to Haslametrics, which is one of my favorite metric sites, along with shot quality and obviously uh, Evan Miyamaya and Ken Palm, name your favorite, whatever. Uh, Baylor's defensive efficiency was fourth in America in 2020, then 10th in 2021, 12th in 2022, so top 15, and then 99th this season. You've mentioned personnel. Can you give me like good news for the future? Like Baylor's going to be good at defense next year, or there's there's this a new bad cop's coming to town. They're hiring you on staff. What <laughs> needs to flip for Baylor to get back to where they've been? I think personnel. I think the best bet is either Jonathan Chamwachanchua gets a little bit healthier. Josh Ojanwuna feels more comfortable. 
they got to get better play out of the center defensively. I didn't live up to expectations this year. I also think Baylor will explore whether they want to stay no middle. Their scheme, I think, could change this season. I don't think they're going to go zone again, but maybe more traditional man-to-man, I think, could help the Bears out. I also just think some of their guys were not great defenders this season. Obviously, personnel changes will help them out. Offense, I think, could dip, but there's a long way to go defensively that I think will fix it. Uh, but I don't think these coaches suddenly forgot how to coach defense. I mean, Al Brooks was right there along with Jerome Tang coaching defense all the time, and he's an incredibly smart guy. Um, I can verify from talking to him several t- several times, many times over the years. Uh, I don't think he forgot how to coach defense. So I think it's personnel. Jacoby Walter has showed out, I think, pretty well at the McDonald's All-America game weekend. He'll play a lot of defense. I still think it's more likely than not Jalen Bridges returns. So that combination, I think, helps the Bears out. I do think the defense has improved next year, whether it rises to the level of the three years prior. Probably not. But if you're top 30 versus number 100, man, that makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, Dale Bonner thrown in the conversation as well as a guy that can come back, has a big decision to make this offseason, as a few of these guys do. LJ Cryer involved in that as well. Um, Kendall, give me give me kind of a best case scenario with and it could be you know, Dale Bonner, LJ Cryer comes back and Baylor plucks from the portal. How do you see this roster shaping up based on things you're hearing right now? I think best case scenario, we know Keontae George is gone with his announcement yesterday. Yeah. I would still be absolutely for it if Flagler decides to return. Sam Vecini's newest mock has him picked in the second round. I know he came very close from conversations I've had with Adam leaving the year before, if not for his knee, maybe even leaves. I think he's gone for sure. I know there are some rumors that maybe an IL deal, he stays around. I think he's ready to depart. I think he should depart. I think he goes. So I'm not considering that even best case scenario. Although probably one out of one million multiverses, he comes back. It's like when we talked about Jared Butler back in the day, Jared, or Jared, Drake, when we talked about Jared back in the day. All the time, by the way. Yep. Yep. Uh, And, People were like, oh, is Jared going to come back? And I just was consistently saying, I'm 99.99% sure he's gone. I'm about a similar number for Adam there. Best case scenario, LJ comes back. Dale comes back. They portal an elite point guard. Jalen Bridges returns. John plays well. And they get one more kind of tweener big who can switch out. Maybe not somebody who's seven feet, but somebody can play switchable defense, not provide a lot of offense. And they have a roster where they feel like there are nine or ten guys ready to go. Grimes is sort of the wild card. He played very well. In the tournament last summer, I've heard good things about him defensively. I don't know that he is your day one point guard you feel comfortable rolling with. There are some people that feel more comfortable with him than I maybe do day one. I think they probably need to portal a point guard. To me, that's best case scenario, whether it's the UCSB point guard or somebody else. I think there is a point guard out there to portal for Baylor who can play elite defense like a James Akenjo or a da- not a Davion Mitchell, but a James Akenjo quality defense, which is still really good. Be a facilitator, not have to score quite as much as Adam Flagler did. Defense improves. Cryer scores in bunches, maybe the best score Baylor's had since Lace Darius done off the dribble. And that's a really good team next season. And with how weak college basketball I think will continue to be with the one-and-done era, guys going to the G League, the portal, that team could contend for a national championship, even if its top three players aren't as talented as this year's squad. Kendall, I give up. I throw out all my questions about the coaching thing. They're, the coaches have been good. Baylor sent a lot of them out. Scott Drew's coaching tree is great. We're going to end it there because now I'm just genuinely interested in all of your basketball opinions. Um, Baylor, so I, I did a show like a week ago that talked about one and dones at Baylor. I don't think Baylor, Baylor's not a one and done school, obviously. I, I Pretty much objective, you could not put that stamp on, on Baylor. But now with three one and dones in the last two years, do you, to me, like I would much rather go out to UNC Wilmington and get the fifth year point guard and bring him into Baylor than bringing in the number three prospect in America who could hit or miss be the guy like a Ty Ty Washington who's just ready for the NBA draft. He's just, you know, that's what college is for him is the, the pre pro. Um, where do you sit on the whole one and done thing? And are you content if Baylor just never ever has a one and done ever again? No, I think Baylor should try and continue to land one and done talent. 
at least until the NBA draft age is lowered. Once that happens, we'll see if more guys declare immediately. And so if your one and done is like guy number 27, that's different than if your one and done is a top 15 McDonald's All-American type player every season. Yeah. reason I think the one and dones are valuable is other than Serge Jabari Rice, I don't know who Baylor could have portaled this season that would have been better than the role Keontae George filled for the Bears. I think their weaknesses existed at other positions and the inability to have the center position, which I, I don't mean to be mean by saying that, but I'm asked to analyze basketball and I respect the question. They did not get the defense needed there or have the quality guard defense, which Keontae should have been a little bit better at, but he was a great offensive player, especially pre-ankle injury. I still think that's valuable. I think Jacoby Walter's valuable. And you look at the team that won the championship for Baylor. You're never going to portal like that again, right? Davion Mitchell, that talented, Amacio Teague, Jared Butler, and then Mekhi Mason. You got to pick who you want with all those guys. And if they don't have to sit out a year, you're not going to get all those guys immediately. Like Jared might say, I'm not coming if Davion Mitchell is going to play immediately. Yeah. Davion may not come if he's saying, well, Jared's going to play and be your guy for several years. And Mekhi Mason may not come and be the most ready guy immediately, knowing Davion and Jared are going to play. And then Maceo Teague might say, well, why would I come? Because you've got three other guys you're talking to right now. Without the sit-out year, everything is different. I agree with you. If UNC Wilmington has a great point guard, and you know he's better than the guy you might get as a first-year point guard, take him. But I think if we sort of misremembered how good that team was two years ago, I mean, they were clearly the best team in the country before the injuries. They suffered to James Akenjo, where he was hobbled the rest of the way. Jonathan Chamochachu were going out. And they still were North Carolina making some stupid threes in overtime away from, I think, still possibly winning the national championship last year with Sohan, Brown, Meyer, and company which showed how good the one and dones were. There's nobody they would have gotten more valuable than Jeremy Sohan in the portal to that team and how he was multi-variate for them. And so I get the one and done allure is, hey, all these teams with one and dones don't win titles. Look at what Kentucky's done. Well, yeah, that's a lesson. Maybe Calipari hasn't been the best at managing personnel, but he still won a title, should have won another one in 2015, played for another national championship in 2014, was a couple shots away from winning one. And Bill Self has been pretty successful with a lot of one and dones over the years. It's just to me so hard to build other ways so hard going forward that I would say get one or two one and dones a year, supplement them with good players. But in the IL era, I don't think you can build another way. I think you got a one and done. I get it's easy to be like, I didn't like these things about Keontae George, Jeremy, or Kendall. Or, you know, I don't like that I don't know these guys as well because they only play here for a year. Or I feel like they're renting Baylor. I can say unequivocally, Keontae George cared more than anybody I've seen for Baylor in the last couple of years. Did we lose him? Kendall? Yeah. <laughs> I'm hey, back. He's back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm still alive. They, they tried to take me down. They couldn't take me down. Uh, that was Chris Beard. That was Chris Beard's people. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I certainly don't want to get involved with Chris Beard at all. What I will say is I like the one and dones. I think the hatred is misplaced. I think they're still valuable. I think there's a reason why everybody in the country still wants to recruit them. And the people that don't are just jelly. So I like one and dones. It's kind of a hot take, but I like the one and done. All right. There you go. Kendall Cout is on the one and done train. I'm on the UNC Wilmington's fifth year train. Uh, we're both together on those trains at some point in time. There's an intersection somewhere there. Yeah, um, there is. Kendall, I have two questions left for you. One is probably my favorite question I've ever asked a guest ever. So I'm going to save that for last. Um, the other one, give me, give me just like a, um, oh, this is tough too. It's a way too, it's a way, way, way too early, but like a floor to ceiling for Baylor men's basketball next year. Cause you're going to have another team that's led by a couple. They were the second youngest team in the big 12 this season. People forget that. Uh, and so you're going to have some experience mixed with youth leading the way again. It, it seems like an interesting mix to me because some people think they're going to be really good and others are on the, uh, the exact opposite. Yep. I think biggest range for a Baylor team since the Mackay Mason team 
uh, that beat uh, Syracuse and lost to Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament. Why well, say that? Everybody comes back but Adam and Keontae. John improves, gets back to maybe 85, 90% of his former self. And then Jacoby Walters just ready to go day one as a defender. To me, that team could contend for a national title because, yet again, I don't see any Baylor 2021, Kentucky 2015 team that looms as an overwhelming juggernaut next season. Maybe Duke gets there if things hit right, but I still don't see any team that good the next season. I think UConn loses enough that they won't get there either. Floor, though, is a lot lower, and that could be LJ doesn't return, decides whether to portal, which he didn't announce today, so that's probably a good sign, or he just says, you know what, I want to play in Europe if I can't play in the NBA. Jalen Bridges says I'm going to get a two-way deal and leaves. John doesn't quite return to form. All that happens. Baylor then, I think, is maybe even fighting to be a 8-9 seed next season, and that could be a risk for Baylor. I still think they're portal well enough. I think the Jacoby Walter, I think even if John's diminished, that's so too good of a team to think they won't make the tournament. But I think that's a very broad range. I think probably the modal outcome for Baylor next season is more like a four or a five seed because you just have to gamble that maybe one of LJ or Jalen doesn't come back. Maybe John doesn't quite return to form. And then maybe Jacoby asking him to be even better than Keontae George is asking a little bit too much for how good Keontae was for most of the season. So I'd say Baylor's most likely outcome right now is a four or a five seed. But you're right, very early in the season, subject to change a million times between now and then. Uh, Kendall, I'm now going to, I'm going to delay just one second. I, um, <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a picture that I took, um, yesterday. So it was Dia this week. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I can't believe they moved is, Dia to Tuesday. It was, what, what was that? One more time. Sorry. I can't believe they moved Dia to Tuesday. I remember the days of Dia Thursday. Okay. Oh, it's not going to work. Yeah. I, I've been hearing D at Thursday, which I think would be so much better. Nobody would go to class on Friday. I can't imagine. Oh, nobody, anyone did. Did. nobody did. Nobody uh, did. Yeah. There's just no way. What is, uh, what's your favorite D a memory? That's the last question. And my far and away, my, my favorite question I've ever given. Okay. D at 2012. Uh, so D on sixth street, I take it. It's still kind of crazy. Mm, is it not a street? Sixth street? Or, no, not the end of six. It's like 12. Whatever, and this is how old I am now. They've moved it. 16th so, Street now. Oh, geez. Okay, yeah. It, it never was It never was there. I think it was 6 back in the day, but maybe it was 12. I think it was 6, though. Um, I'm almost positive it was. It would get absolutely wild, right? There would just be a few cops out that only had the responsibility of just arrest if fights or someone pulls out a gun, right? People would walk around with liquor bottles, beer bottles, shouting things. Nobody cared. And... I was around my 21st birthday, Dia 2012, and I remember, you know, maybe having a few too many drinks. Maybe, maybe, maybe I did that. It's possible. Remember, people, have, people have said it. Nobody knows if it's it. true. I remember walking to the Dairy Queen, uh, getting very sick at this Dairy Queen at 11.50, and then my buddy had to carry me back. To, I lived at the center. He had to carry me back to the center, and then I woke up three hours later and just texted people and said, I'm back. And then we went back and continued on for the night. And so that's, to me, that's Dia. It's getting a little too crazy. It's rallying and it's saying the day is not done. That's Dia. Like, I don't know what happens on campus because I would never go on campus during Dia. I just love Dia. That it's not on Friday anymore makes me very sad because Dia Thursday, Priya, Dia Thursday, you had basically, you know, two whole days to just get absolutely wild. That's what Dia Deloso was. That's what the day of the bear is to me. Priya is arguably the best part of Dia. There is something about the the Christmas Eve feel the I can go out and and have a couple of alcoholic drinks and not feel the pressures of the world because tomorrow is Dia and then you're still up at eight and you're buzzing I was up, I was seven forty five my body naturally woke me up and was like I'm ready this is it it's Christmas um, and then you know you take that five o'clock nap and 
and it's the best nap. You wake up at eight, nine, have no idea where you are, and then the day's not done. Idea is the best tradition at Baylor. I don't know anybody who does Dia on campus. If they do, they're doing it incorrectly. I don't understand oh, why. I mean, I, I get why they do stuff on campus, but I don't get why you would go. Um, so, yeah, now the background is some trash in the backyard of where Dia was. It. I woke up this morning and went in my backyard, and I just like couldn't see the ground. Um <laughs> So that's what it's for. Kendall, thank you so much for bringing your perspective on Baylor basketball to the show. Um, and, and I think you, you I mean, you've given a, a level headed view of, of the future of the program without Jerome Tang and with the defense, hopefully improving. Always appreciate it. Drake. Pleasure to see you, my man. Find Kendall stuff at Kendall count on Twitter um, or on Sikkim 365 as well. Thank you all for listening. And thank you for making locked on Baylor your first listen every single day. This has been, it always will be come back tomorrow. I think we have a special guest joining the show, but I'm not positive. So I'm not going to promise it yet. Locked on Baylor. <laughs>